Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. This is the coolest Sunday yet. The rain just chased off. Jordan, thanks for that song, man. God used that. That was so good. And you've got a good singing voice, kind of, you know, so, so good-ish. Through the lens of grace, it's awesome. So, no, the, uh, so good. Well, guys, I want to celebrate um, with you. This is the first time I've been up here since um, I have been married for 20 years. August 5th, (laughs) celebrating my 20th wedding anniversary. And uh, everyone we've told that to uh, has not believed us because I, I look so young. Um, but, uh, it, the, but yeah, we, I've been married for 20 years as of August 5th. My wife, Adrian, she should stand up, don't you think? Adrian, why don't you just stand up a second, please? There she is. <laughs> yeah. 20 years um, of, uh, of, of marriage and ministry with Adrian. I tell you what, uh, Adrian is the most courageous person I have ever known in my entire life. Um, and... Uh, just so excited for the first 20 years, learned so much the first 20 years, and really excited for, uh, for the next 20 to be more kingdom advancing, more full of Jesus, uh, more powerful, more dynamic, um, just more wonderful. And so just really, really blessed uh, by, this, uh, by this marriage and this uh, opportunity that I have to be married to my best friend uh, and the most courageous woman I know. And she's, she's an awesome kickboxer. She's great with a gun. No, she, she's none of that. I was just want to chase you off. Uh, but uh, the, uh, I want to talk this morning about what I have learned about the kingdom of God and about the church as a result of, of 20 years of marriage. Um, I, was, uh, I was trained in very conservative um, institutions, Moody Bible Institute, Lancaster Bible College. I'm thankful for those places. Um, but they did not really teach me much more and I, I know I'm trashing them right now. I'm not trying to, but I'm just being honest. Are you guys okay with a little honest? Are you? Do I think, okay. I learned so much great stuff. Learned how to parse Greek verbs. It was wonderful. Felt like math, but it was great. Um, but I, I, I learned good conservative theology, and I learned that leadership in the church looks like theologians. And, but when I actually started leading in the church, I realized that you don't first and foremost need to be a theologian to lead the church. And then once I got out of, of my undergraduate and my graduate and I started realizing that, hey, this isn't really working, I started turning to what was really, uh, what was really big in the early 2000s and, and mid-2000s is that church should be run like business. And you start learning from mega church pastors that are implementing their leadership tactics and skills from the marketplace into the church, and you start doing church like that. And I want to tell you, it's a mess. God did not send his son to die on a cross and be raised again and then pour out his spirit for us to look more like a Fortune 500 company. That is not. (laughs) The church should be reviving the way into the future so Fortune 500 companies and everybody else are looking to the church and saying, what's all this? I've, I've learned that. And as I've actually studied the Bible... And as I've, as I've actually walked with people who have actually led church, um, I've been learning a lot. 
And as I've, but most importantly, as I've become a husband and have learned that my biggest responsibility as a husband is to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And that means dying to myself every day to put her first. And as I've learned that, that leading in the church or, or leading in my family means that, hey, I've got to be strong for my kids and I've got to provide and I, I've got to, just because they say they, they want something doesn't mean they need something. And I've got to be a dad that's courageous enough to decide how do I lead my family, right? And as I've partnered with my wife and not, see, and not treated her like one of the kids, but as my equal opposite like the Bible teaches, as I've done life just with her and we've, we've managed through this together, I have found that the church, and specifically leadership in the church, looks more like parenting and family than it does like a Fortune 500 company or theologians smoking pipes, sitting in rooms and sharing with the world all they know, which I'm thankful for that. I, 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 I read for fun over, over quarantine, I read Fox's book of Christian martyrs almost twice, all right? I love the Reformation. I love great theology. I love Martin Luther. Love Jonathan Edwards. Chuck, or Chuck I, I call him Chuck because we're close, but you know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon and I were close, all right? But I, I tell you what, if you don't know how to be a mom or a dad, you don't know how to leave God's church. And so I, uh, I have learned over this that if we're talking about revival this summer and summer tent revival specifically, and we're saying, God, we want revival, we have to start learning about what it in fact is and not just go back to our memories of what we experienced when we were a kid and somebody planned 40 days of revival and an evangelist came in and I'm sure it was nice, I'm sure God did good things, but I like to go to the Bible to define what revival is, not to past experience, because they're not always accurate and correct as much as God even uses them, correct? So if we want to see revival in the church, here's, here's number one. We've been talking about this all summer, but here's number one. If we want to see revival in the church, we need to start with ourselves and our own hearts. And we have to say this, God, refine me. Start here. I'm going after you. It's repentance. It's, do you know that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament sent fire from heaven to light a fire in the, in, the, uh, in the tent of meeting. You guys know this? Leviticus chapter 6, you know this? All right. I've only preached on it five times in the last two years. It's okay. But uh, the Holy Spirit sends a fire. And the, the uh, command to the priest was don't let the fire die. Don't let the fire die. Don't let the fire go out. The fire that consumes all the worship, all the offerings, don't let it go out. But what would happen is, as that fire consumed offerings, ashes threatened the existence of the fire. And so what you have to do is you have to clean out the ashes so the fire can burn. I think that many of us, we need to stop scrutinizing everybody. And we need to get the ashes out of our heart. And we say, refine me, refine me, refine me, refine me. Jesus, refine me. I love that the, 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 the clapping started loud at first, and then, then it's, it's died off. I tell you that, it's died off. <laughs> but I started out this year talking about revival beginning with repentance. My very first sermon uh, in 2020, repentance. And so I'm saying, guys, that re revival starts with us, but it is in the context of family, okay? 
And so I, uh, I, the, the framework for ministry that Revival is hosted in is actually family. It's family. Don't you love that when Jesus saves us, it's, it, the Bible actually talks about our salvation as our adoption as sons and daughters. This is what the Bible says. Read Colossians this week if you don't believe me. Um, we're transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light where we celebrate the son in whom the father loves. And so the, the Bible is, is full, even the, the prodigal son story, even though I've never talked about that part of the Bible in this church. I could preach on the prodigal son for the next 20 years every Sunday, I promise. It, it is, in my opinion, the best representation of what salvation is. It's uh, sons leaving home or sons refusing to join the celebration and a father who wants them back. And uh, so, but, but it, this, is, this is the framework. The framework for ministry is not organizations setting up executives, but the framework for ministry is God building a family by love and by grace and through faith in Jesus and him promising to be a father to us, him wanting to, to welcome home and adopt into his kingdom. Orphans no longer now adopted sons and daughters. And so if, you, if you're trying to, if you're operating in a theology like that, but then you try to lead that as an executive, it's just not going to work. You tracking with that line of thought? A little bit? A few of us? All right, I've lost the whole crowd, Jesus. It's just you and me, buddy. All right, so, so here's what I'm going to do this morning is I've done, since I just celebrated 20, and since I've, I've done a ton of weddings this summer already, and I keep preaching Ephesians chapter 5 over and over and over, and I thought that here I would, just as a building block to what I'm talking about this morning, I thought I would toss out Ephesians chapter 5 because it is about the mystery of marriage and the theology behind marriage. And then I think that we're actually going to be able to see that this is how God wants to build leaders in the church. Okay? It's crazy, I know. Ephesians chapter 5, please turn there. Uh, open to verse 31. It's just going to be verse 31, 32, and 33. And as you turn there, or as you flip there on your phone, or whatever you do, I'm going to read this to us out of the English Standard Version. Here's what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother... And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Guys, this is wild. This is wild. We live in a culture and in a society where we really believe that that what God does is God has has you know that you know has created us, and that. Our main ambition and goal in life is to find our soulmate <laughs> and that God tries to bring us together and just kind of bless that so we can be happy for the rest of our lives. But I want to tell you this morning that your soulmate is Jesus and that the person that you, that you operate in covenant with is not the person who's going to satisfy your heart because no human being on the planet can do that. Your heart was not made for a human on earth, but Jesus Christ in heaven. And he fashioned you for himself. And that, that, you're, that you're, your husband or your wife is for the purpose of you two together being more than you could be alone and advancing the kingdom and making much of Christ with your life. And this is how God has set it up. This is how God wants to lead. 
If you look in the, in the Bible, when you look at, at uh, requirements for spiritual leadership, it's not really great at making dough. It is really good at being a mom or dad. So here, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, what this is, is this is the old system or the old authority that you used to operate under. Okay? You should leave. Here, here's, the, here's what God's saying. You should leave your, your old system of authority and hold fast to your wife, is what it says. Let me, let me say it this way, that marriage is not ultimately about you or for you. It is a profound mystery. It's the ultimate purpose is in displaying to the world the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And now God is showing us that right here. He says, here's the kind of relationship I, I want to have with you. I want to have the, the life-changing, life-transforming kind of relationship where you come out of your old authority. That would be the world system. That would be d- demonic authority. That would be satanic and Involvement. That would be the, the, the systematic weirdness that is in operation in this world. And I want you to come out of that darkness and step into the light so your life will be changed. This is leaving the old life. Now, now ladies, imagine this. You marry a, a beautiful man, and he can cook, and he loves kids, all right? He's, he's, he's got cash, all right? He's wonderful. But anytime you two go to make a decision together, he has to ask his mommy. Right? That is, come on. Come on. This is not how it works. How it works is you step out from under the old authority, and then the two of us become a new one. And in the kingdom, this is what happens. All right? When we come to Jesus, we step out of the old authority, the darkness authority, and we come into a new one. And now God reigns supreme over our lives and our existence, and, and, and he tells us what to do, and we submit to him. This is what happens. All right? And so... So that when God saves you, he's, he's calling you out. He's calling you out and into something better. He gets to tell you what he's calling you into. You don't get to, to decide on your own. Just like my wife tells me what's up. Right? I don't get to decide that. She tells me. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but uh, before she beats me, I better clarify. You know, so when God saves you, He's calling you out of darkness and into the light. And, and uh, in the kingdom, God has called you out of darkness and under that authority, under that covering, under that way that you used to do life. And then he calls you and he says, we've got a new paradigm. We've got a new authority. You are now, now the Lord of your life is King Jesus. And this is the mystery that I'm trying to talk about. This is what marriage actually shows, a greater kingdom reality. This is how God leads through his people, the church. Now, so it's a relationship built on life change and transformation, but it's a relationship built on covenant. Okay? Listen, guys, if we get... If we get leadership that doesn't understand the promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God that we follow, it doesn't matter how smooth you are, how well you communicate, how much you can accomplish in a 24-hour period. If you don't get this, you can't lead well in the church. Covenant is what relationship in the kingdom is built on. So in this, in this passage, marriage exemplifies that really well, that he leaves his mom and dad, old authority. Now listen, not that mom and dads are bad, all right? Um, they're, 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 ju- they're, just, they're just old. 
I, if that was from Jesus, just play with it. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, but there, you know what I mean. Better move on. Um, a covenant. So you come out from the old authority, and now, now you hold fast to your wife, all right? So there's a union that has taken place that is impossible, spiritually speaking, to separate. This word for hold fast to wife is actually one um, Greek word. It's the word for glue or the word for concrete, okay? Now, back in the day when I first started out doing uh, marriage ceremonies and officiating weddings, people used to do these sand ceremonies, all right? They're weird, all right? I get it. I get it. If you've ever done one, you know they're weird too, right? What does this mean? Everyone's watching you pour blue and green things, you know, into the, the same bowl, it's great, you know, so okay, we do, we do that all the time. But here's what it represents, weird or not. It, it represents as the one sand is going in, the other sand, two individuals making something inseparable. It can no longer be separated. It is glue, it is concrete. They're not just glued together, and if you pull hard enough, they can separate. They are a mesh. A mesh. No amens to that. <laughs> I get it. I know. I know. So, but here's, and here's the thing, and I want to say this with so much grace because I, I'm a pastor, but I come from a, a, a family of divorce. I'm not divorced. I've been married for 20 years. Did you know that? But my, my parents are, and my dad was a pastor when that happened. And so I get this, and in the kingdom, guess what? There's this other reality called grace when the world system breaks you down. That we operate in, that is, that is, that mercy and grace triumph over it all. And so I want to say today is a, is a new day for hope for you. And do not for a moment let the enemy shame you. Do not for a moment let the enemy get in. Do not for a moment let the enemy plant a seed that will grow into a weed a year from today. God wants you to know that you can start over. But this is, this is the framework and the design that God has set up and established. Right? So hold fast to wife. So in, a, in other words, you leave the old authority, and then you two are glued together and with, a, with a, a, a union that is built on covenant. You're fused together into the same object, uh, uh, built on covenant. Now, here's the thing with covenant, is that covenant operates in and on and through faith. Faith. So when you're standing at an altar making promises openly, you're opening your heart to this woman who's saying, hey, it's just you. Hey, it's just us. Hey, I'm going to love you. I'm going to respect you because, hey, amen. That's a big one, isn't it? Right? I'm going to respect you. But when it doesn't happen and tensions start to flare, covenant keeps you together. Hey, we're not operating in perfection, but we are operating in covenant. We're sticking together in this, in this thing. That's covenant. So we're standing at an altar, making promises, opening our hearts to listen, to believe what the, others, what the other person is promising. Okay, now, the, the beautiful thing in the kingdom is God makes promises that he always keeps and he does not lie. And so those of us who have had experiences where someone else has broken the promise that they've given, listen, that is a misrepresentation of the kingdom. The kingdom, he who is faithful, that's God, is faithful even when we are faithless. I was almost going to speak on um, the, uh, the book of Hosea this morning, where Hosea was told, but, you know, there's kids all around, and if you read Hosea, man, it's rated R at least, 
all right? And there's kids around. I didn't want to say certain words that I was reading, like, on repeat all the time, all right? And that's it. Parents, you can read Hosea to your kids. You might want to use the Passion Translation, all right? So, uh, but, uh, but actually, the, uh, but, um, he, but here's what. The prophet Hosea was commissioned by God and told, I want you to go marry a woman who will be unfaithful to you. And in that union where you are faithful, but she's running off with everybody else, that shows what is happening with my covenant people, Israel, and me. And but, but the beautiful thing is God, God says this, hey, here's what you, I want you to name your kids. And Hosea doesn't even know if they're his. But here's what I want you to name your kids. It impact, your covenant impacts your children. And, and he says this, and as your wife goes off and leaves you, I want you to provide for her financial needs, but make it look like her small lovers were the ones doing it. Is this not, this is so, this is otherworldly, other kingdom. But this is how God does it. And when the time comes that the small lovers of Gomer, who is the unfaithful Bride, when they all let her down and they put her up for auction, Hosea goes and buys her back. Buys her back. Says, I want you. All that you've done, I want you back. Guys, this is how the kingdom operates. Massive grace, overwhelming love in the context of kingdom family. So the model for leadership, my friends, in the church it's family. I don't know if I've said that or not. I don't know if you got that or not. But the model for leadership is family. It's not how successful you are in business. It's family. Uh, I told you about my schooling and that big push to be a theologian, which I want to be, and I'm on my way, all right? I'm an avid reader. I love it. I, I want to get my doctorate degree someday, all right? But theologians aren't necessarily the epitome of what leadership is in the church, all right? Um, uh, church, we can learn a lot from, from the business world. It's great. It's, ju it's just not the paradigm that, that corporate America is not the paradigm that the scriptures build. The, the what's, I can't read my own writing. I don't know what I just said there. It's, but I know it's good, though, because I jotted it. It's like, that's a word. I just, I can't, under the inspiration, I was, it was, it's like, it's, it's not English. It's, it's honestly not English. Okay. Um, but it, it was good. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> but making family the standard, making family the standard, that's how you make disciples, like moms and dads. I watched my wife teach my daughters how to do girl things. And she does, she, just, she, she does it like a mom. She doesn't do it like with organization and all these things and schooling and schooling and pressure and pressure and syllabi. She does it like a mom. Here's how you mix the brownies for dad. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And when you make dad sandwich, put on extra mozzarella. And mayo. And meat. <laughs> we know each other here. We serve each other here. We belong together. It's, we heard each other this morning. But this afternoon, here we make our stand. This is family. 
This is family. And kids should see dads apologizing. And kids should see moms and dads reconciling. And kids should see with their own eyes, not in a classroom, but a living room, what this looks like. Now, my son, who I brag on all the time, okay, and he makes me promise that I won't make him stand up because I'm so proud that at 13, he's wearing size 15s and is six foot three. All right? I'm watching the girls watch him. I'm like, you are 18 and he's 13. I don't say that. I'm actually proud of that. I'm so proud of that. I didn't even think he knows. I'm like, that's my son. But I remember when I was out uh, mowing lawns when my, when my son was about five and he thought that he could mow the lawn. He thought that he could push the big machine that's powered by an engine that spins machetes super fast. He thought that he could do it at five. And I, told, and I had to say, no, you can push your, your little tyke's lawnmower behind dad. Daddy, I can do it. You will do it, just not now. And I, I walked him through. Here's how to do it. And then he pushed it with me. And then, and then uh, I let him push it as I stayed right behind, but it wasn't on, you know. <laughs> you know? And then I, then I turned it on. And then, I, and then I started, I was handing over responsibility. And then I, I let him uh, do it on his own, but he didn't know that he wasn't on his own. Like I was watching him like a hawk. And then the day came where I let him mow the lawn by himself without me watching. And then I evaluate and I said oh man you got to get better on your stream charming but great job and now he has his own little business in our, our neighborhood and he saved so much money that he bought his first pair of Yeezys all right if you don't know what Yeezys are I, I don't know what to tell you but that is how you make disciples that is how you make disciples Sometimes discipleship is happening, you don't even know what's happening. Sometimes you're, you're developing as a leader, and you weren't told from the beginning what was happening, but God doesn't always tell us what he's doing in us. He's just our father, and we just have to trust him. But we, as a result of being a part of his family, 20 years later, we're more like him, and we didn't know how. Because sometimes in a family, kids don't need to know how. And in fact, the gears of the family have been hidden from them. They don't have to wake up every morning and say, where's food? What am I going to do? They're just provided for. But the how is parents in covenant standing on Jesus have raised them up and led them. And this, somehow, as much as the Bible teaches this, you you read all, all of the epistles written by Paul, was this he's not he's not writing as a corporate ceo he's writing as a father to children he's he's writing as a brother to brothers this is the terminology that is in here all the time he's standing shoulder to shoulder we're doing this together this is this is the 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 context of the kingdom this is this is a massive emphasis in discipleship in the scriptures this is the discipleship isn't so much programmed as it is life on life. Jesus leading me. Me hanging out with people that are more like Jesus and just becoming like him as a result. This is the the the, the listen to this terminology. We're the, the bride of Christ. 
We're adopted through faith into a family. We belong as sons and daughters. We're receiving the kingdom not out of effort or because we've lived such a good life, but we're receiving the kingdom through, uh, uh, through faith as an inheritance. This is family terminology. This is, in fact, a lot of times when I'm trying to raise up and disciple and speak into marriages, I see the lie that, that many uh, young marriages actually think that the marriage is, is, about, is about the two of us. It's like a line. <laughs> Listen, your marriage is not about you, my friend. <laughs> Embrace it now or learn it the hard way. It's about you dying, <laughs> but it's, it's not about you. There's more joy in dying in the kingdom than there is living for yourself. <laughs> but marriage is actually, it's, it's not a line between the two and you two are trying to meet in the middle, like 50-50 or 100-100, it's well, whatever, all right? Marriage is a triangle. Where King Jesus, your treasure who has bought you, reigns his head over you. And, and the two of you together go after him. And as you go after him more, you two get closer. That is kingdom marriage. That is kingdom living. That is kingdom leadership. And that is why Paul says, hey, you want to raise up leaders? Look for great married people that have raised up history-making world changers. Look at their kids. Look at their home. Look at their lives. Look at, are they the same at home as they are in the gathering? Look at that. Spy on them with hidden cameras. That would have been there had that technology existed, I'm sure. So here's what, here's what, Ephesians said, some of us just need, need to get, we need some, a practical takeaway. And I'm sorry if this doesn't sound deep, though it is. The Bible says to husbands, listen, I've told you that marriage is not about you. Marriage is most specifically about Jesus. It's a mystery. What you're operating in is actually a living, walking illustration, reflection, and example of my heart for my church. What you're doing matters for that. That's the main thing. That's the mystery. That's what's so profound about marriage. That's, why, that's, that's what it is. Then it says, here's how you maintain it. So if this applies to you as a married person, great. But it can also apply to you as a kingdom person living in, a, in a, uh, the family of God, in the body of Christ. It can apply to you. It says this, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you have five more minutes? Can I break into this for a second? So love your wife. This is a massive assignment. And, and if, if you have a theology that doesn't make room for miracles, you can't do this. You can't do this. 20 years have told me this. The, the, the assignment is so massive that unless I, I'm receiving love from Jesus himself, I can't love my wife like Jesus tells me. This is, it, it, takes, it takes the supernatural oceans of love to break over. I, I've got to be with Jesus and know his heart and be wrecked by the spirit and cry on the ground and say, hell, it doesn't happen without intentionality. It doesn't happen without God driving us to our knees. 
And, and you're, you're never able to do this on your own. This is so supernatural, and that's what marriage is like. But that's what, what kingdom family is like. You can't strategize love. You have, to, you, you have to receive it and give it. So, And then it, it makes it crazier. It says, here's your assignment. Loved your wife, and then you flip back a few verses as Christ loved the church. What? What? Like Christ loved the church. Being killed for a crime he didn't commit. He didn't have to be right, though he was. (laughs) And so here he is. He's just willingly sacrificing himself and laying his life down for the beloved. For the beloved. So I think that the best leaders are the people that love so much that they're willing to be killed. I know when I read Fox's book of Christian Martyrs, which is basically about people who are going to the stake because they would not get rid of their Bibles. All right, <laughs> guys, if you're, not in, if you're not in the scriptures, just know that the kingdom family that surrounds you right now from the heavenlies went to the stake for this. Stake, light me up. You're not ripping this out of my hand. But so he, the, the uh, love is where you put your wife before yourself, where you put others before yourself. Love is where you, you trust somebody else with your heart, with massive intentionality and never stop pursuing, never stop running after, never stop loving because you're in covenant together and Jesus is empowering you and it so much depends on it that it's so much bigger than you and your heart is captured by heaven so you keep going this is love but i love what what god says to wives and i think this is a word i'm going to end on that that he says this however let each one of you love his wife as, uh, as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband now let me dismantle a lie that's in the church that's in the world is that you know, love can be given by grace, but respect is earned. I got to go there. That respect is as much a part of grace as love is. All right? Um, I, I have sinned against my wife a time or two. And Adrian, for the most part, has kept coming back to respect. And what shows the kingdom the most is not when you give respect based on works. That is the old system. That is old law. That, that is the old, that, that's just old. That's what we came out from under, supposedly. That was what was the authority over us at one time. But it's not how the kingdom operates anymore. Now the, it, it was that. But now it's grace. And so when we try to take old authorities and then put them into new relationships, it it destroys them from the inside out. So I'm telling you that, I'm telling you uh, wives that your husband needs your respect as much as you need his love. And that respect comes from grace just for the position that he is in. And I've seen wives do this through husbands that are trashing their wives. And wives just keep, how are they respecting like this? How, how are they in their heart? How are they doing this? Well, Jesus? Jesus? I don't know. Don't you think it's 
more supernatural, but more simple than we've ever known? Don't you, like, I, I wonder like in, in some marriages or relationships that are floundering, I wonder if Jesus is actually the treasure to begin with. That would be the best question to ask yourselves. Is he the pinnacle of this union? Start there, start there. There was a survey done asking thousands of men if you had to pick between being loved or being respected for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Overwhelmingly, I'm talking the high 90% range, men said if I had to pick, I'd rather be respected. And that is because God has fashioned us this way. This, I, I, don't think, I don't take that as a sin thing, I take that as an image thing. That God has wired us, that, that this is how it works. There's, there's respect through grace, and there's love through grace, and it's all through grace. Respect requires grace as much as love does. So this, my friends, I wanted to share with you because this is what I think leadership in the church looks like. This is what I think God is doing in, in our midst. This is what I think God is doing and all, all around us if we would have eyes to see that he wants to do something bigger than our schools have been able to accomplish. He wants to do something supernatural and kingdom from the inside out. He wants us to actually take the words and not just memorate it, memorize it, but, but, but eat it, drink it. Jesus said, I've been reading through the book of, of John, the gospel of John. Jesus offers himself as living water and as bread from heaven. He wants, he wants to be internalized. He wants to be feasted on. He wants to satisfy our hearts. So I, I, I really believe this morning that, that the best, most dangerous, most kingdom, most biblical prayer that you could pray in this moment is God, satisfy my heart in a way like I've never known. Like I've never known. So I really think that, that leaders in the church, they may not be the best at this or that, but if they're satisfied in Jesus, you can trust them. Because they're not using you to get, to provide for deficiency in themselves. They, they are satisfied in Jesus and then giving to you from that place. Who wants that? Who wants that? Okay. So if you, if you want that, I just, just pray in receiving posture. How you ever do you do that? Lay on the ground in the water. Stand your feet and scream. I, I really don't care as long as Jesus is in it. Hold your hands out in receiving posture. But Heavenly Father, what we need most today is we need a move of God that is bigger than ourselves, that makes much of Jesus. So God, we just, we, like children, we just cry for it. We just cry for it. We want it, God. We're tired of looking like the world. We're tired of operating in old authorities. God, we want to operate in your heart again, and the dreams of your heart again, God. So I just pray in fresh ways. Father, would you, would you get through to the deep places of our heart that are still broken, and would you, in fact, bind us up? Would you do something so we don't operate from our, our pain as much as operating from your heart, God? So God, we welcome you to do this. As, as, the, uh, as the senior leader at this church, I welcome you to have your way with this church and to do what you want to do as you are the lead pastor of this church, King Jesus. So whatever you want to do, we're, we, we just want to follow in behind you. So we say, come and have your way 
and do a work, and we want you. You first wanted us, loved us, though we've left you. And so God, I just pray now that, Lord, I, I pray for people right now that love the sound of the kingdom, but they're not partakers of the kingdom yet. And I just pray that faith would arise in their hearts right now to receive Jesus, to put all of their dead works to the side. They never were, and to find themselves kneeling at the foot of the cross, receiving righteousness they, they don't deserve, that they could never work for God, I, that, that receiving love that they never thought they were, were worth. And I just pray, God, that, that you would be saving people right now through faith, God. I just pray that faith would, would arise and spring up in hearts right now, God. So touch people, heal people, mesmerize, mesmerize us with your amazingness, I pray, God. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Come on. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.